We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 255. Same old story for the Yankees. They just cannot bury the Orioles a split on their way to Fenway. It's the same old story in the fact that we're recording again after a sunny gray start, after a terrible sunny gray start, after we've had uh, a few you know, good ones sprinkled in, and then all of a sudden, old boy comes back and... Uh, he he does him he does it one up from his last bad start from the the last Red Sox start which was terrible but now it was a pretty similar start but against the Orioles and he <laughs> smiles off the mound it's <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff with Sonny Gray holy good god this guy it's um I, we're gonna talk about Sonny Gray and everything but I, I think it's reaching a breaking point with with him and the fans. reaching I, I think it's it has I think reached. it's gotten I think there for the for him in New York. It has reached a breaking point for not only the countless uh, eggs he has laid on the mound, but now once you start throwing in laughing as you're coming off the mound while you're getting booed, some Twitter bullshit that did he tweet racist tweets, did he not, did he tweet dumb tweets, did he not, and now they're deleted. It's just a whole big mess. Before we get into all that mess, <laughs> we got some, some breaking news on the show. One of us... Breaking. One of us is no longer um, not engaged, and, and that's not me because I'm married. But Andrew, congratulations! You you did the you did the deed. You asked the question, and she said, "She said yes." She said yes. Congratulations! Thank you, thank um, you. Yeah, the way you worded that was weird. You said one of us is not engaged, or yeah. one of us is now engaged. Well, whatever. Yeah, I'm not engaged. You're engaged. No, you were not engaged anyway. That's correct. So yes. now. Um, you are, are going down this, uh, this journey. So congratulations. There's going to be two married guys. Our demographics are getting all screwed up now, completely screwed up. You're, no, <laughs> you're you. not even, you're, you're, you're not 20 any, you're not in your 20s any longer, and now you're not like a single guy any longer. So um, yeah, we're, we're now cornered into, into a demographic. I figured once I turned 30, I had to become an adult in all ways possible. Yeah, no, it's isn't, it's, that, isn't that the rules? It does make sense. I that's when I got engaged. <laughs> so I did it. Um, I figured I was. I figured let's. Uh, you know, I'm a savvy veteran baseball watcher. Let me do it on a Yankees off day. I so, like that. Did it on the Yankees off day. I didn't look at my phone for the couple hours that that we were uh, doing our own thing, and then I looked down, and there's four thousand 
chats in our Facebook group and, and all these trades going down, I had a panic attack. I was like, what the hell did Brian Cashman just do? That ninja, he knew. He knew I wasn't online. So the way you, uh, you, you had sent me a DM that night and, and mentioned like, that, that it was uh, is done in so many words, but the way you worded it sounded like almost it could have been perceived as maybe you hadn't done it yet, but you were, it was going to happen that night. And I got oh. really nervous for you because <laughs> I mean, with, your, with your streak and your uh, history of jinxes that, that's been on the show, I really was hoping that you just didn't jinx yourself. That would have been like the ultimate jinx. Uh, of all time history, but congratulations. Uh, I'm really happy for you guys. And, uh, I know a lot of guys, a lot of people have met Leanne. She's been to uh, a a bunch of the events. So congratulations to Leanne as well. Thank you. I'm sure she won't listen to this, but I'll tell her you said congratulations. All right. Uh, well they're, they probably met her at, at some of the events and we've got another one coming up on August 18th. Yeah, so the August 18th event is the 1998 celebration for um, all those guys. They'll parade them out, probably coming out of center field and, and uh, call them out eat one by one so we can give them their applause and remember all the good times and, and, and like that, that just how good that team was. I was listening to actually some of the, uh, the Yankee years, the uh, audio book yesterday and just kind of reliving some of those. Uh, some of the parts of that season, and uh, it was just a fun season. So it'll be good to see those guys. Uh, the tickets are sixty-seven bucks. Pre-game is going to be at the dugout. Uh, it's going to be early. It's going to be a one o'clock game. So we're going to be doing some drinking in the morning. It's uh, breakfast beer. Breakfast beers for twenty years. We did the same thing for the nineteen ninety-six celebration. We're going to uh, open the dugout at ten o'clock. You get a T-shirt with the uh, with the ticket and uh, the drink specials at the at the dugout. So. Uh, go get your friends, get your crew together. We're doing that special again. Uh, two specials. If you bring five people or more, you get 50% off of your ticket. If you're the captain, if you're the guy setting it up, if you're the guy or girl setting it up, uh, you get 50% off. If you bring 10 or more people, you get your ticket for free. That's right, for free. So make sure that you get your friends together. Uh, it's coming up. These events, we, we've been spacing out one pretty much every month. So it seems like they... Once one is over, we get we, our next one is right on top of us. So uh, make sure you get that. the the uh, The cutoff for tickets is will be just a couple of ga- days before the game. But the cutoff for t shirts to get your ticket to get your t shirt on the day will be um, probably in the middle of next week at some point. So uh, don't hesitate. Don't wait. Go get those tickets. And then if you cannot make that event, also the September fifteenth event is rapidly approaching as well. That's our last regular season event of the year. That is a game uh, on Saturday scheduled for 4 o'clock right now. So, um, Which probably will be flexed to 1 o'clock. Probably will be flexed to 1 o'clock. So we made that mistake last year. This year we're not going to make that mistake again. We're probably going to be doing the pregame somewhere local in the Bronx around the stadium. All right. So Yankees split with Baltimore. As we said, Baltimore traded away Machado, Scoop, all the other, all their pitchers. They, they, they just decimated. They gutted their team. Buck Showalter is managing a triple-A lineup, yet they can still manage a win against the Yankees. And I think that's why we saw Phil Nevin absolutely blow up in the dugout. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, when, you see, when you see a team losing like that, um, I mean, everybody, look, it, it was a lot of it was on Sunday Gray. There's no doubt about it. But there was also some horrible defense and lackluster play that was, that was happening in that game with, uh, with Gleyber Torres and Sugar Shane Robinson in right field. Just, I don't even know what he was doing, playing so freaking shallow, just the guy was playing out of position almost. Uh, so the defense certainly didn't help him out, but the balls were scolded. There were a lot of hard hit balls. And, you know, as Phil Nevin, a kind of an old school baseball guy, at least that's the way he seems, you know, you got to lay it. You got to lay it out. You got to put it on these guys and doing it in a public way, I think is a, is a good thing. I mean, there needs to be some emotion in that situation. Interesting that it was Nevin and not Boone. I guess Boone has his henchmen that he can just send and and maybe he told Nevin to light a fire under their ass. Or maybe it was Nevin who just decided, I need to do something because this is a piss poor effort out there. Yeah. And, you know, for all of us that want Boone to be like this really fiery guy that gets pissed yeah. off all the time, it's, it's not just not his is. personality. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be disappointed time and time again if we're thinking that he's going to get in someone's ass. Um, you know, on TV in the dugout, you know, maybe in a couple of years when he gets really salty <laughs> and, and, you know, the, uh, he's weathered as a manager in New York, then he'll start doing that more up, but it's, it's tough to expect his personality to change in, in half a season. 
But there's certain points in the season where I think you have to change. You can be a laid-back manager, a player's manager, uh, a for-the-long-haul manager where you're resting guys and all that great stuff. But there's got to be certain games, certain points in the season where you, you have to do something different because they're in a pennant race. They are at a point in the season where it's the biggest series coming up with the four games against the Red Sox. They needed to take care of business heading into that series. And they didn't. They did not take care of business against the Orioles. At what point do you just say, what the hell are you doing, guys? And Boone needs to act differently. He doesn't need to do it on TV, but maybe he's doing it in the clubhouse behind closed doors. I don't think that's, that's, uh, that would be – I think that would be warranted from Boone. And, and, I, and I think that he was hired because he, he was a player's manager and a laid-back guy and all that stuff. But at a certain point, you need to change. Well, I, I don't know if it's, uh, first of all, we don't know that. I mean, he, he very well could be doing all these things. And I'd expect him to be, you know, to be getting hot underneath, in, in, in behind closed doors. I don't expect him to do it in a, in a public fashion. He seems like more of the guy that's going to keep that in. And I think that plays along with the fact that he is a more of a player's manager. He's going to keep that stuff internal and, and keep that between the players. But I could definitely see him getting fired up inside the clubhouse um, with these guys. And I think that, you know, not just being a laid back guy and, and the reason you're hired as a player's manager, it's it's your ability to communicate with them at given points too. It's it's yes, you can relate with them and be and be friendly with them and get that rapport. But also, you know, if you have that relationship, you should be able to get on someone's ass. It's like your it's like one of your your buddies, you know, like you, you have a relationship with them in the sense that you could do um, hang out with them and do whatever. But if they do something that's that's not right, like you should be also, you know, in, in a good enough relationship with that guy where you can like chew his ass out and and still be friends afterwards. You know, like I feel like it's that type of relationship. At least that's the goal. That's where it needs to be. Yeah, and maybe he had to have a talk with Gleyber Torres because the two lackluster plays, not covering first base on the bunt and then not getting over to second base on that ball that was hit to Didi that I don't know if he's going to have a play at second base, but he sure as shit can't have a play at first base. So Glaber needs to be over there covering the bag. Those two plays definitely didn't help Sonny Gray, who was crappy in his own right. But if this was, I mean, we killed, crushed Gary Sanchez for not hustling. And then we saw Glaber Torres not hustle on two defensive plays. I did not expect that out of Glaber Torres. Uh, you know, I think I, on Twitter it was uh, there were a lot of questions coming in. Well, you know, Glaber did this, Glaber did that. Why, why, why is is, is he going to get the same treatment as Gary Sanchez? And I'll answer it like this: I, I don't know. I don't know how it's when you're looking at the two things on the field and you isolate them and you you take the player out of the equation. You just see what happened. Uh, they're they're both like they're both not good. They're both lack lackluster plays, lackadaisical plays, lazy plays. Um, but for whatever reason, Glaber Torres is a rookie. He we we haven't seen him as much. Um, he's not struggling offensively, and whether you want that to c- come into play or not, whether it's fair for that to come into play or not, it does. In in the human psyche, as a fan, as an emotional guy, you're already you know aggravated with somebody. But but the the thing is, is we've seen this from from Gary Sanchez in the past, you know, many many times. Like there's a history there with Glaber Torres. We have seen it, no doubt, but. At the same time, he is a rookie, and you're almost chalking it up to like, uh, I don't know, the youthfulness and, and cloudiness. And he does get cloudy when he's on the bases sometimes. Like the guy makes dumb base running plays sometimes too. Um, but I don't know. For me, it, it just feels different. Like even yes, he was he was kind of sauntering over to first base. He should have booked it to the bag first and then turned. He kind of like he, he ran hard, then kind of strolled in. I feel like his timing was off. I feel like that was more of a, I don't know. I, I don't think it was a lazy play. Um, I think it was just a. a uh, again, I keep chalking it up to the youth and inexperience, but maybe that's fair, maybe that's not, but that's that's how I feel and that's how I see it. I think I heard because I was listening to the post game um, on the radio, and Susan had her her clubhouse report, and she said that Boone used the excuse of, "Well, he's not a natural second baseman." I'm not buying that either. I'm not buying that for one second. I think that's a horseshit excuse. I mean, I think. You, sorry, if you look at the play, he was playing pretty deep. I mean, he was playing pretty much pretty far up the middle. So there was a distance to go. There was a, a solid distance to go. Again, I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm he should have been I, there. This he's in. He's been in the. He's in the major leagues. He should know where to run to bases when he's playing second base. Who, what base he needs to cover and stuff like that. Uh, that is not an excuse. Right at this point, I, I I totally agree. I totally agree. But I think it's the way that it, it feels <laughs> as a fan when you're looking at what that ha- well, what, what, feels, what happens. It's also different. I think. Um, 
not hustling down the line on a ground ball is one thing. We take out the ninth inning, bottom top of the ninth inning game on the line situation with Gary Sanchez. Just your everyday run of the mill ground ball to shortstop, third inning, you just jog down to first base. That's one thing. But when you're kind of half-assing it in the field on plays on outs that matter, there's no excuse for that. No matter what point in the game it is. No, I agree. I agree. It needs to get cleaned up for sure. Like he needs to change that stuff. It's, it's, uh, I think it's, I also saw a lot of Cano re- references in the sense that Cano was more of a, a lackadaisical player in the sense that, but you know, Cano would have been at, over at the back. Cano is an unbelievable second baseman defensively. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. He's got great glove skills and great, uh, arm skills, but he was not the, the most, the guy that, to be in position. Yeah. I think that's times. unfair. I think that's unfair. He, he was, and people just thought he wasn't trying because he would sort of glide to the ball, but, I've, I can never recall uh, Cano not being in position at second base and having it cost them an out. Oh, I mean, I guarantee that happened. You're not remembering it, but I, I, I can remember times where he would if not I can't get over remember the first it, bag. it didn't happen. <laughs> right, where he would saunter to, to a position. Like, no, the guy was when, you know, he, was, he had good range, he had a good arm, and he had a great arm, and he had uh, good glove work. So whatever, I'm not talking about Cano. The, it just feels different for me for whatever reason. Am I giving him a pass? No, absolutely. He needs to, um, he should get chewed for that, no doubt about it. And I think some of the veteran guys should get on him more because he is a rookie. And, and I don't know how many of the guys can actually get on Sanchez for that type of thing because he's not a rookie. He's, he's a, you know, at this point, he's a veteran player, uh, especially on this team. So it's, it's just, it's a di- to me, it's a different situation. Well, we saw, we saw Luis Severino yelling at Gary Sanchez in the dugout. I think yeah. he was yelling about the cross-up sign, but maybe the fact that he, he half assed it over to the ball played a factor in that. But you've got guys in that, in that locker room in that clubhouse that are, you know who, who the leaders are. Sabathia right. is a leader. Yes. Judge is a leader. Gardner is a leader. Why can't they speak to Gary Sanchez? I think they absolutely have the right to speak to Gary Sanchez. No, I think they do as well, but I don't think they do. I think, I think more veterans give, I think the veteran guys give uh, each other a little bit more rope. Um, maybe in that situation where it was, where it was, um, you know, so blatant that, that you know maybe it was done inside. Uh, again, I'm going to reference the Yankee years book because uh, when you're when you're talking about that team back in '98, um, David Cohn was that guy. David Cohn was the guy that would would get on people's ass like constantly. He was the one who talked to the media and he was the one who would ride people's ass. And it didn't matter if you were a veteran or a rookie for him. It was it was you know if you're playing the game the right way, you're good. If you're not, you're going to get talked to. And I hope that's the way. I can't see Judge doing it. Really, I, I think he, he's more of the Jeter role where he's you know passive. Um, but I could see Gardner getting on someone's Gardner ass. Gardner and Sabathia are those kind For of sure. guys. No doubt. I could absolutely see them. And I could see Stanton getting really mad behind the scenes, too. <laughs> he do- and and to, to Stanton's credit, I mean, the dude makes $30 million a year. He does bust it out of the box every single time. Do you see the look on his face that he gives the pitcher if he ever gets hit? Like, it doesn't matter. He got hit the other day. That was a, it was a changeup in the back. It was like an 85-mile-an-hour changeup. And my God, the death look that he gave uh, to Ramirez, I think, was on the mound. It was, a, it was an yeah. absolute death look. And I'm well, like, you, you I'm knew, like, bro, you knew Ramirez. You knew Ramirez, who, by the way, Ye- like, Jeffrey, like, where's the J? Anyway, uh, he hit him and he Stanton looked at him and he was just like, no, it wasn't on purpose, bro. Please, it wasn't on purpose. Don't kill me. Stanton was like, all right, all right. I'll and go he did. He's first like, base. And he said, I'll okay. let you live. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he did do that. He gave him like a, a pass. It was pretty funny. But the, the look that he gave him, I could see how behind the scenes, like if, uh, if I'm if I don't know if, if uh, Stanton has any kids, but if I'm his kids, like and I screw up in public, like I know I'm not going to get it then. But when we get home, dad's going to whoop my ass. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was always the scariest thing yeah. when, when your mom would say, "When dad comes home, you're gonna, yeah. he's gonna he, you're gonna get it or whatever." It's like, oh, and my dad would come home and be like, "The Yankee game's on. Let's just watch that." So, <laughs> uh, Tanaka six shutout innings. That makes eleven shutout innings for him over his last two starts. We obviously know about the complete game against the the Rays. Um, he backed it up. He listen. He was not as good in, in this game, but he was still very very good. Six shutout innings against a weak Baltimore lineup who came in 28th in in the league in runs scored and Tampa 21 in the league in runs scored. So he's doing it against the competition he's faced. That's all he can pitch against. Yeah, but look at the last week. Look at the last week of runs scored. I know. Did you see the stat? Did you see the the stat that the Baltimore Orioles lead the American League in runs since they traded Manny Machado? Well, there you go. So they're a dynamic offense. (laughs) Traded away Scoop, traded away uh, Manny Machado. They got Chris Davis in there batting like 104. I mean, he's a terrible baseball player. He's if I'm an Orioles fan, I'm looking at Chris Davis and 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 I'm looking at the uh, the brass of the Orioles and be like, you did this. 
well, you did this. At this point, like you can't even get mad at Chris Davis if you're a Baltimore Orioles fan because you're it's just not his fault. He didn't sign the. I mean, he didn't old, offer the contract. I know it's just old man yelling at Cloud at that point. There's so much wrong with that team that you're going to get mad at Chris Davis and what? What is he going to change? No, no. You need to get mad at the ownership for giving that man a contract. Is 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 the is the reason that contract is ninety seven percent of the the reason why they are uh, you know not able to to keep a semblance of their team. They have no money. They gave it all to Chris Davis, who's a terrible baseball player. It was Definitely. a horrible decision. Um, uh, well, but with Tanaka, so he he threw one hundred and five pitches in six innings. He probably maybe lets uh, Boone lets him go longer if he didn't have the thirty one pitch first inning where he lost the strike zone for three batters. Yeah, and and I think after that first inning, he definitely rebounded and, and pitched really well. I, I was I referenced this on the uh, on the post game video that we do on Twitter. He he struck out Adam Jones with a fastball. It was a ninety four mile an hour fastball, and the one the reaction from Jones was he gave like a wow looking back at Tanaka, uh, kind of mouthed something to him like he was he was shocked how I think how how uh, fast that the ball got up on him. And I think it's uh it's it's a really good thing to see because when you see a ninety five a ninety four mile an hour fastball that takes a guy like Adam Jones by surprise and, and blows him away because it was he, he was very late on the pitch. Um, it, it just speaks to how well the other pitches were going for Tanaka at that point. And when Tanaka's mixing it up and then uses that fastball intermittently, like that's when he's at his best. So I thought that was a really good sign. Next start is going to be uh, Sunday night at Fenway Park. He's made two starts against the Red Sox this season, 10 and a third innings pitch, 10 earned runs, 15 hits. So, Yeah, little, but it's that little, night on Sunday night baseball. A little night. concerned about baseball. going into that game. It's against Price, so it could be a a nine to eight ball game for all we know. Um, it's but against Tanaka, Price for now. It's against Price for now, but they just scratched Chris Sale, so I don't think they're going to scratch <laughs> Price as well. Maybe they'll just throw in the towel on this uh, on this this series. That'd be nice. Tanaka. All I'm saying is that Tanaka. He, every the whole team. This is the biggest series, biggest start, biggest game of the season so far. They've been sleepwalking for the last month. They're a 500 baseball team for the last month. They need to wake the hell up. Doesn't matter what you they do. Absolutely against, need to wake up. Doesn't matter at this. Like, just throw everything out the window. Like, we can, we can, we're gonna talk ourselves to death about how they're 500 against the Rays and 500 against the Orioles. Let's see what you got. Like, prove it that you can beat Boston and then take some momentum through the rest of the season. No, no, no doubt. We have 10 games left against the Red Sox, but at this point, there's four games left. They need to focus on, focus on four games because uh, these four games are so freaking pivotal. I mean, you know, if you look at the history of the two teams and, uh, you know, they're relatively split down the middle as far as the season series, if you walk out with a, with a split, I mean, nothing changes. If you walk out even with a three to one, not a lot changes. If you sweep, it's a big deal. So it's, but again, you can't walk into um, a game like that ex- or a series like that expecting to sweep. But for this particular one, when you have things lining up for uh, like no sale um, and, and uh, you know, they've been kind of hit by the injury bug a little bit, like you're looking at this as an opportunity. Granted, the Yankees have also, but you're looking at this as an opportunity. Your pitching has, has lined up to the way you want it. Yankees got to Yankees got to come out there and uh, first first of all, start off strong. Like it, it's, it's absolutely essential that they uh, get off to a good start. No, that's why I'm happy Sabathia is starting that series. I feel like he's a, he's a great tone setter. Oh no doubt, and what's his right? His record's ridiculous after Yankees losses, so it's yeah, a good guy to have. Maybe that's you know, why. Isn't that why they lost today? Just to ensure the win. Maybe they so, did. Yeah, Gen- it's genius. It's a good move. <laughs> See, the Yankees are next level. We're we're not on their level yet. <laughs> uh, and Duhar had the three-run homer on Tuesday after the Yankees only got a sack fly with the bases loaded. Didn't we talk last week about how no hits with the bases loaded, just a bunch of sack flies and ground outs and strikeouts? Yes, and well. Yeah, at least Andujar came through with the three-run bomb to to sort of what I thought was icing that game. Except late in that late in that ball game, Baltimore started to come back, and Chapman had to be used. So I was kind of disappointed that the uh, sack fly happened because if it didn't happen, then then we could throw this stat out the window, or at least put a one in there next to the bases loaded average. Uh, they love that sack fly. Lead the league in sack flies, baby. All right, so they got the sack fly and then the the three run bomb. I wonder how many. This is something that we should look up, or if anybody's listening, if they're uh, bored at lunch and they want to look something up, how many how many home runs follow a sacrifice fly? RBI. That's that's what I'm. Uh, I'm wondering. Oh, because you think that it, that that stat is deceiving. That maybe yes, the Yankees get the sack fly, but then they get the big hit right after that. That's it. Maybe it's like a Babbitt thing. Maybe it's just the deceiving. <laughs> you know, maybe it's like a. No, no, no. Babbitt comes into that, but yeah. <laughs> 
But but that's something they've struggled with is the big hit to put the game away because they they get a ton of runners on base. This team, for all their struggles, is still getting on base, but they just get a sack fly or they get the RBI ground out. And instead of getting four runs, they get one run. And, that, and it just puts a lot of stress on the team for the whole game. Unless they hit a three-run home run after it every time. Well, it was still, still, I mean, it. it's still, they, they couldn't score any more runs later in that game. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they, the thing is, is they're, they're, the runs are not the problem at this point. <laughs> you know, it's... it's uh, are it's they? Got, they scored one run off, off Alex Cobb. Okay, that, yeah, but then they came back. You, you knew that that game was going to be a high-scoring game. I, I mean, I, I don't care. I don't care if they... like. Yes, I do care if they didn't get to Alex Cobb. It's ridiculous, guys. Like he had a 6 losses. ERA. You gotta, you, yeah. He leads the league in losses and has a 6 ERA. They're, what's your excuse for not hitting Alex Cobb? I mean, historically, he's a better pitcher. And if you look at what happens in the, so. in, the, in the last month, he's definitely... A much, he's been much better. He's pitching to a low 4 ERA. Um, and now he's probably... Ooh, he might be four. He might be in the high threes over the last month after this outing. So he's been better. But the thing is, it's like you knew that they were going to either get to him or wear him down and then get to that bullpen that are filled with double A guys. And when you get to that bullpen, they're going to score runs. So you just got to stay in the game at that point. Like, I can't believe I'm saying this against the Orioles. But if you're in a game like that, like stay in the game. And the offense did. They kept in and, you know, they still scored the runs. The runs came across the board. You have nine frames to do that. And they did it. Um, just a little they should have won the game. Yeah, with the offense is my point. Like the, it's it's not the offense. Like to me, the offense is not the problem. Like there are situational issues, no doubt, that they can improve on. But the offense is not the problem. It, do you mean it's not the problem? Uh, just in general, yes. like you're not worried about it. Okay, no, fine. I'm not worried about it in general at all. Um, that that's fair. I mean, the problem on on Wednesday was Sonny Gray, who entering that game had really good stats against Baltimore. 18 innings, only four earned runs, a 169 batting average. And I think the most important stat was he's only walked three guys in his previous three starts against uh, Baltimore. And he had just the last three starts in general against any team. He threw 204 out of 259 of his pitches were either two seamers or curveballs. He was focusing on just those two pitches, make those two things work. And he was having success. He came out in the first inning, looked fine, and then just totally lost it, got crushed, falling deep into counts. It, it fell off the rails so fast. I, 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 I didn't even have time to see what was happening. It fell off the rails so fast. So uh, I'm, I'm usually the guy that's, that's uh, tweeting from Aperonk's pinstripes. I'm sh- most people know that. The, we tweet when we're on there, whoever it is on there, about the game as it's happening, when it's going on. So yeah, Sonny Gray, like the, the first inning was efficient. Like he w- was working fast. I'm like, okay, this is the good guy. This is like, you can almost feel the way it's going to go. And it felt good after that first inning. So, you know, you tweet out good first inning. <laughs> I, I got a gripe with Twitter. First of all, like the amount of people that come back and say, oh, it spoke too soon. Jake's like, get over it. Uh, it's so, it gets, it's annoying. Like there, there's none of that. It's going to happen. People are going to say things, get over it. Anyway, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not making Sonny Gray pitch terribly. I promise you that. The guy is, is mentally weak. And as soon as he gets in any trouble, like, it, it just seems like uh, things go bad. And when it's at home, he can't handle it. He just can't handle the adversity. He's not built for this. It's, it's becoming so very apparent that this kid is not good for New York. It's just a bad fit. It's the fourth time this season that Sonny has allowed more than five earned runs and gotten fewer than 12 outs in a start at Yankee Stadium. And that's why you're saying he cannot handle it at Yankee Stadium. He got booed off the mound, and his gut reaction was to smile at the boos. I think it's because he was embarrassed, and, he, and, and I just think he's an awkward person and doesn't know how to handle this kind of adversity. He's never probably faced this adversity in his career. If he got crushed in a game in Oakland, there were 45 people in the stands to, to boo him. Like, who the hell cares about that? But when you, when you suck at Yankee Stadium, you have 40,000 people booing you. And he smiled. And, mil- and millions watching and, and, you know, countless beat writers that are looking for anything. Like you, you just, it's, it's about self-awareness at this point and, and knowing like where you are and what you're doing and in, in, in a situation. And, and it, you know, this is what we're seeing on the mound. The guy can't handle the situations. His awareness on the mound to me is, is off. He doesn't, he doesn't adapt to situations in the game well. And we're seeing that now too. The guy gets pulled after in the third inning, two and two thirds inning that he gives up. Uh, six runs at that point, seven runs came in eventually on his uh, on his line score. 
and you give a little smirk. It's not even like a smile, like a laugh. It's like a, it's like a, uh, it's a dismissive smile to me. Like that's like, oh, the Yankee stadium. I understand if you're a nervous guy and like, there's like a nervous smile, but you know what? Don't do it in that situation. How about you have the self-control and the self-discipline and the awareness that that's not a good thing to do with 40,000 paid fan people who are, who are paying to come watch this team play as entertainment and have invested their emotions in, in this team. And you are acting whether you whether you mean it or not, that to me is irrelevant. Don't do it. You're an old enough person. You're a man. Don't smile coming off that mound when people are angry and and, and rightfully so. It's it's complete bullshit. So I, I, the people that are giving him a pass and saying, "Oh, it's nervous smile," blah blah blah. He wasn't smiling because he was bad. Well, no shit, he wasn't smiling because he was bad. He was smiling because he's an arrogant little prick. That's what it looked like. He was smiling <laughs> well, think- because he's dismissive, and that pisses me off. Do you think that he was thinking about what he's going to watch on Netflix now that he had, early, he had an early start, so he's got an extra couple hours to kill in, in the clubhouse? He can he can catch up on Peaky Blinders or or the the Great British Bake Off show. I heard that's popular. That's in his queue. Yo, by the way, I, I tweeted this out and I I felt weird even starting it, but I started Peaky Blinders, and it was basically because after I listened to the R two C two podcast and he was talking about it, I'm like, all right, I have tried this show like four or five times. I couldn't get through the like the accents in the in the first twenty minutes. I literally turned it off within twenty minutes. The first four or five times. This next time, I gutted through the first episode, and honestly, one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was so good, riveting. Riveting. Hey, I'm not criticizing Sonny Gray for his. But there's no more seasons. It's over. It's over for now. There's no more seasons right now. So, so he has. So he's moved on to something else. I'm sure there's something else. Netflix has a million shows. Jesus, you know this guy is. I I don't know what his deal is, but you know the other thing that was very apparent in that interview that that I absolutely took notice of, and and I think it's so very relevant to the way he is on the mound was he was talking about the fact that he didn't really have a routine for home and away starts. He just didn't have one. And then that's when the Netflix thing came up. He's like, yeah, sometimes I'll just go in there and watch some Netflix for a little while and, and, and do whatever before the game. Like The fact that this guy doesn't have some kind of regimented routine when he's so sporadic on the mound, right. like, it, it just speaks to the, to the way that he works mm. almost. Like I, I don't understand that. That's that. So if you go, if if a guy doesn't have a routine, but he's going out there and putting up success, then you're like, all right, fine. He's just yes. that's that's how he operates. It but, works. But right. when you see a guy struggling time after time, you might you think to yourself, how about you try something different? How about you try a routine? Maybe that'll work for you. I don't well, know. right, and because the the problem on the mound in the game is is being sporadic and being all over the place and not being disciplined to a game plan or disciplined to your mechanics like it all correlates to to me like you know choices that you're making throughout the day throughout the week throughout your preparation you know those choices are 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 not working so let's let's try to regiment those choices a little bit better let's watch more film let's 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 just try something different just for the fact of trying something different i'm so tired about talking about this though because we've we've been talking about this for three months with i know i know it's there's no more there's nothing else to talk about like there's no more try and get on a routine. Watch more film. Just focus on on two pitches. Personal catcher, not personal catcher. Change your windup. Move your hands. Like who the frick cares at this point? He can't pitch. He can't pitch. How is he- it going to change? How many more t- tweaks and tinkering this and and fixing that and working with the with the pitching coach in the in the in the bullpen? That that's not working. At what point do we just say Sonny Gray is not working? I, I, I put out some stats that he's been with the Yankees for a full year, including postseason, 34 starts, 177 and a third innings pitch. He's pitching to a 4.82 ERA. That's bad that's baseball. A, how, that's a huge sample size, and he sucks. The Yankees are 15 and 19 in those games. Mm-hmm. So he sucks, and the team sucks with him on the mound. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a problem. And at this point, I mean, Aaron Boone talking about not ruling uh, uh, out Sonny Gray uh, being bumped from the rotation. Like to me, this is not not ruling it out. This is taking him out of the rotation and making a change, making an impact, and and actually uh, making a statement. Like this is not acceptable. And and when Lance Lynn comes in behind you, new guy, new team 
coming in, new shave. The guy looks totally different coming out, trying to make his uh, his his debut and make you know show what he's got to the Yankee Stadium crowd. Like you could see that he cares about that. Throws four four in the third, I think, clean innings, clean innings, yep. and, and comes in right behind Sonny Gray and keeps the team in the game, allows the offense to uh, to you know try to make a comeback. And, and what did we see? We saw a guy competing. We saw a guy. Um, that actually looked pretty damn good. Honestly, I thought he was uh, aggressive. He worked fast. Like I liked what I saw. I, I was I was happy with the way that he uh, the way that he looked. So does he get his next start? I say hundred percent. Yes, hundred percent. You got to demote Sonny Gray at this point. You got to send a message. Lance Lynn came into the came to the Yankees with a five ERA. So he has not been pitching great all season, and he just shut down the Orioles AAA lineup. Sonny Gray couldn't. I want to talk before we move on to Lance Lynn, though. I want to talk. About, so, are you buying this this tweet, this Twitter stuff from Sonny Gray? Because, like we said, the on-field stuff is one thing, but he had a bunch of shit go on off the field too yesterday. Yeah. So there was this tweet surfacing from the from 2009, October of 2009, during the World Series. Uh, he said, "You have to be really good to get all of Yankee Stadium to boo you as you walking off the mound." and a Hall of Famer to smile about it. He was referencing Pedro as he was getting booed off the mound at Yankee Stadium. It's it's so coincidental that that you brought up. I don't even know if I buy it, but at the same time, how do you fake something like that? Well, I mean, I, I could fake a, a tweet in Photoshop in about ten minutes. But how <laughs> how does somebody in their mind on that like who goes to that place in two thousand nine with Pedro getting booed off the mound and then find the date? Is you know all that? Sort I don't of know. Stuff it, to, to all fake you got to do. All you got to do is remember who smiled coming off the mound when they're getting booed. Like, you who the can, hell just remembers that off the top of their head? Is what because I'm saying. well, when you see Sonny Gray coming off and smiling, it triggers something. Like, oh, he's smiling. I guess it, it looks like Pedro smiling coming off the mound. First of all, very different situation. Very different situation. Like Pedro in that situation, like I'd smile too if I was on the uh, on the road uh, at, a, at an opponent's, uh, you know in their stadium and they're booing me like that's a point where you can have a nervous laugh or you can be dismissive about the laugh like that is a situation that warrants it 100 percent. people were retweeting that tweet it wasn't just a screen uh, screenshot yeah so i only saw the screenshot of it i didn't see the actual tweet and it when i saw the screenshot it looked fake so i, I don't know if it was real or fake we will never know at this point the actual real truth everything. because he's deleted everything he went and deleted he had some suspect tweets from when he was uh, much younger that had like racial innuendos. There were like a whole bunch of other crap that, you know, we don't need to talk about on this show, but look, the guy was, he, he obviously saw some things on there, didn't want to deal with it and deleted the whole thing. Um, personally, I think most pro, pro athletes shouldn't be on Twitter in the first place. Delete your, everybody should delete their history. Uh, if you're a pro athlete, because you probably said something stupid at some point down the, down the line, especially when you're in college, if you have a, a Twitter from then. So, um, but I, I don't know the, the, like all of the, I haven't seen all the tweets and all that. But obviously there was something there because he deleted everything. So I, this this whole stuff that's been for for baseball players, it all started with Hater over the All Star break, um, and a lot of these guys are just saying, you know, I don't really remember tweeting that stuff. Those reviews at that time, it's not how I view the world now. Blah blah blah. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you forget tweeting harsh stuff like that? So I went back in my and I, you know, you can search on Twitter for for any keywords that you may have tweeted. And I just searched just to see if I ever tweeted something that is idiotic and moronic that I would regret in the future. And I'm not a perfect person, but I couldn't find anything. And and it's because I would never put something like that out there. I would never be so foolish to do that. How are these guys so freaking dumb? Well, it's, you know, the, the fact that you don't put anything out there and the fact that you're, you're actually believing something to, to put it out there in the first place is like, you know. Well, it's two totally it, different things. I would never think that stuff anyway. Right. But, but I, I but know. But even as a joke, even as something, and like I, I searched a ton of different words that could possibly uh, be construed, uh, you know, however, controversial or people might say, well, what did you mean by this? And I couldn't really find anything. And, and how, I just don't understand how you could sit there and just, tweet out in public especially Sonny Gray was doing this the the one the one questionable uh, racial tweet was from 2012 I don't know. It's not I, I think that a, long ago. I think a lot of a lot of people in social media, especially when they're in college, at a certain point when like when I don't know, social media wasn't uh, like a, a very popular thing when I was in school. I'm that old. I'm a freaking dinosaur to the point that there was no Facebook and Twitter and all that and Instagram when I was in college. Thank God. 
I'm so happy that's the case because pictures alone would just destroy me. But as far as like the, the social media things and like, I think these, I think a lot of people at that age, like they're talking with their, it's just so passive that it's almost like they're, they're talking. They just, they do it on there and you know, dumb things come out. The bottom line is like, if you're thinking some of these, some of these things, like it's, it's uh it starts there. That's, that's where it starts. That's the um, problem. I know either way when you, when you're going down that road, like, yeah, it, there, there's nothing, there's nothing you could say to, to warrant anything that you put online uh, at some point, because at that point, it, it is from you. It is from your, uh, you're, you're the person that put it out there and you're the one that told the world. So, you know, I don't care how old you are. It doesn't matter. It's there. Uh, either way, all that stuff at that point, like, is he a bad guy? And that is, is he all this? I don't know. That's for everybody else to make their own judgment. I'm not going to make that judgment. That's not where I, that's not well, where I live in this. He's space. never had the bad guy reputation. He's never had the guy re- that, that reputation at all. But, um, you know, he's had the, he, he's, he said some dumb things. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me when you see his personality and the way he talks to reporters and, and how he does come across as smug and arrogant. And, and to me, that's, that's kind of the way he comes across when he's talking to, uh, to reporters. Um, so, I mean, it, some of that stuff doesn't surprise me, honestly. Yeah. <clears throat> so we were talking about Lance Lynn. He might get Sonny Gray's next start, which would come in Chicago after the, the Red Sox series. But what Sonny Gray did, uh, how he hurt the Yankees, not only they lost the game, but he took Lance Lynn out of the equation for the Red Sox series. If you have an extra inning game or if you need a long man in the bullpen, now Lance Lynn really is not an option until at least Sunday. But if he's starting on Monday, then he's not even an option on Sunday. Yeah, thanks, Sonny. Appreciate that. That was uh, really helpful. You, the guy that we just brought over who actually pitched really well um, and also had really good numbers against the Red Sox, probably part of the reason why Brian Cashman wanted to uh, bring that guy over, is not allowed to pitch now or not able to pitch because he had to mop up your freaking mess uh, today so or yesterday. Yeah, big, big, uh, big team guy right there, Sonny Gray. There's reports that Sessa uh, is going to be called up along with Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt is another one of the guys that they, they recently acquired. Uh, quickly on Sessa, it's interesting that there's they haven't announced anything, but some of the AAA beat reporters were tweeting that Sessa is going to be called up. So that leads me to believe that he is taking somebody's roster spot who's injured because the only way you can call Sessa up right now is if there's an injury because he hasn't spent 10 days in the minor leagues. So maybe Hap's ear, shoulders, knees and toes disease has really gotten to him and it's worse than they thought and he's going to have to take his spot. Yeah, that or you know, was it officially was it officially announced by the Yankees or maybe there's no, just it's not been officially announced yet. So maybe they're also just talking about it and then the the move will, will happen, you know, when that uh when the DL stint um, you know, when that number comes down and then someone will just get sent down. I don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe it'll, it, if, it, if it gets announced, it's going to be after we recorded today. Uh, we're recording this, by the way, on um, Thursday morning, early morning. So that's, that's kind of where we are today. We haven't seen any, any move yet. But, you know, it could be something that, that comes up. Or, you know, they could, somebody could be going on the deal. Maybe it's Sonny Gray. Maybe Sonny Gray is hurt. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the reason he's so bad. He's hurt. Maybe that's the, you know, going to be the, well, then the that narrative. would make sense. That would make sense. If Sonny Gray is going on the DL phantom DL or something like that, then they can just say, well, Lance Lynn is going to take his next start. And then we have Sessa coming up, taking essentially Lynn's role as the long man for the Red Sox series. Yeah. Or it does make sense also that potentially J Hap is not ready but to if, go. If J Hap can't go, why you don't make that call. You don't make the Sessa move until Saturday morning when you actually because Sessa is if you call up Sessa for Thursday and Friday he's a dead roster spot because he's not going to pitch he's pitching on Saturday if he's taking half spot yeah no I you know I don't know there could just be speculation about this move ahead of time and 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 that's just they'll they'll make the move when it makes sense but um you know Voight coming up is another it's it's basically Tyler Austin coming up right it's the it's the right-handed bat playing first base that's that's the guy that they're coming up to face uh some of the lefties and like that's the reason he was there. That's that's why Tyler Austin got so much playing time in the Red Sox series early in the season because of the left-handed pitching that the Red Sox have. You want to have you know m- uh, more options, even if it's off the bench um, uh, from the right side. So that's that's uh, we'll see our boy uh, Voight come up and yeah. play for the first time. He was asked to give a scouting report on himself, and it's actually really funny. He goes, "Um, not fast. I don't know. Usually hit around 300 every years in the minor leagues. It's kind of a humble brag." I'm not just a big guy that's 
I'm not just a big guy that strikes out a lot. I feel like I have a good coverage of the strike zone and kind of know what my pitches are to hit. I hit the ball to all fields. I have power. I hit a lot of doubles, and I can pick it at first base, too. I'm excited to hopefully get a chance to go up there and show them what I can do. So Voight kind of uh, seems like a character. Yeah, no, I like that. It's a good scouting report. Not fast. Uh, not just a big guy who does he, He's uh, that's, that's self-awareness right there. Sonny Gray can uh, probably... You know, look at that and uh, take some notes. Yep. So if Sonny Gray was asked, scouting report on yourself today. Well, my stuff was really good. It was really my, good. My Twitter game was strong, so I don't know what the problem is. Not sure. The two-seamer was good. A lot of good action on it. was really happy with it. You're a bum. <laughs> so going back to the actual trades on Monday night, are you at all sad to see Tyler Austin leave the organization? I mean, I guess it's, uh, you know, he's been around for a while. A nice guy. Uh, had some good moments with the Yankees. But Two very big moments with, yeah. the, with the debut home runs with Judge back-to-back, mm-hmm. first time that happened, and then also the Red Sox brawl this season. Yeah, so he will go down uh, in Yankee, uh, Yankee lore, and we will remember him for those two moments. Um, and uh, I think that he's a resilient guy. I mean, he, he's, uh, he's a guy that fought what, uh, testicular cancer, I think, early in his life and, and came back from that. So uh, he's definitely a resilient guy. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a hard worker. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's a level that, that we'll miss if you're looking on the field and talking about X's and O's. Uh, it looks like we have a very, you know, pretty similar guy coming in for him that will do similar things. But, you know, you can't really train like the moxie, like the, the, the attitude that the guy has, because he's definitely one thing about Tyler Austin that I will give him a, a credit for, for sure, is that he's a gamer. There's no doubt you could see it in his eye. Like there was something different about that guy in, in big moments. And he liked that. So. Hopefully, uh, Voight is a similar similar aspect uh, in the way he plays the game. We talked about this last week with the trades and the 40-man roster. It's another situation where Cashman is clearing up some 40-man roster space and yeah. getting value for Tyler Austin. What he's getting in Lance Lynn is a an insurance guy for the rotation and also a long relief uh, man. And he got that for someone who was not going to be able to uh, be protected much longer on the 40-man roster. No doubt. I think the value when you're looking at it and when you look at what the needs were of the, of the Yankees this year, um, having some insurance in that rotation, even if even after Hap was was acquired and you had your fifth starter, you needed another guy because we know every single year uh, it goes deeper than five guys. It goes well deeper than five guys, probably, you know, into eight to ten guys um, that are going to be taking starts. But you're looking at him as a veteran guy who who has had success i mean he had he had some good success when he was with st louis not not so not so great with minnesota um, maybe a, a nice change of scenery would will do some, will do well for him um, maybe you know a little bit of uh, tutelage from from larry rothschild some more breaking balls in there will be good for him he's a good ground ball pitcher which plays to yankee stadium and he's got good numbers against the red sox so you know you you see those things and you think that well he could turn it around and help the team and it's definitely good value especially because the team needed it so desperately yeah 50 lynn is getting 50 percent ground balls which is awesome um he's owed four million dollars but the yankees also offloaded about 1.1 million dollars of warren's money who's going to seattle in exchange for international bonus pool money it's it, that one surprised me more. The Warren move surprised me more than I think the Tyler Austin for for Lance Lynn trade. Well, I, I do think there there is a correlation between them as well because Lance Lynn can come out of the bullpen and they're going to use him in that role as well. Um, obviously, the fact that AJ Cole's there and they he didn't pitch well yesterday, but he has had good success since he's been here. He's been he's been pretty good. Um, so I guess they thought they saw his, Aaron uh, Adam Warren as expendable at that point, um, even if Lance Lynn is in the. The rotation, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll rely more on Cole, I guess, as the long guy. But Lynn right now, as it stands, would be, uh, would be the long guy out of the, out of the bullpen too. And, and they, I think they saw an upgrade with the, the option to get more international pool money, which has been a, the theme really of this uh, free agent class. Besides getting the two, uh, the two guys that, that have come over for pitchers, you know, we're looking at that international pool money and, it, you know, it goes behind the scenes and it goes a little bit as a footnote for, for people that follow the, the, um, the big club. But it's a significant, uh, significant footnote because what Brian Cashman did is he just added a ton of depth to the Yankees farm system. And the Yankees have been so good on the international market recently. Yeah. Think about the players that are playing for them now that came from that. Sanchez, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's, that was still a good international signing. Severino and Duhar all came from this pool, as well as many of their top prospects. And they're replenishing those prospects 
with the three point seven five plus million dollars, what, what's they maxed out this season um, for international money? There's reports that they have up to they've uh, have agreements with twenty three international prospects, including it looks like five um, top fifty guys, depending on which website you're talking about. So. A lot of good stuff that, that you can obviously see that Cashman has made it a priority. I saw Rosenthal tweet out uh, a quote from an international scout that said the Yankees are killing it. There are still several unsigned international guys. Cashman upgraded his pitching, traded off surplus for international money, and can add very high-quality prospects to keep or guys to trade later on. So, Yeah, and, and when you're looking at the two guys that are, are probably the more notable um, to Vargas and, and uh, Osiel Rodriguez. Osiel Rodriguez being, I think, the prize of, of, this, of this international pool. I mean, he's what? He's super young. I think he's 16. He's 6'3". Uh, like, he's, he's a big dude. He's got, he's got the, the body and the build for uh, you know, your, your, your top flight, uh, top of the rotation type guy, if you can back it up. He's got a high 90 fastball. Uh, and, and again, com- controlling a guy when he's that young. I mean, that's what we saw with Andujar. That's what we saw with Sanchez. Um, Severino, like these guys were all super young when they came over. And, and this kid was, uh, you know, d- again, if you're depending on what website you're looking at and, and who's ranking them, he was uh, the top pitching prospect or one of the top pitching prospects uh, in this pool coming out of Cuba. So uh, it's a big deal. It's not going to happen right now. It's not, it's not one of those things that we're looking at. It's going to help the team now. But when you're looking down the road, like you said, like look at how many guys on the major league roster right now came from that pool. It's significant. And uh, with the Yankees, so so top heavy with talent right now, they, they have the, the, the room to wait and the room to groom some of these guys so that, you know, in five years and six years, they can replenish and, uh, and, and, you know, have some of these top talents come to fruition. Hopefully you can also see that the Yankees have a better track record with the international pool than the major league baseball draft. Definitely. And- and uh, some teams focus more on the draft. And you can see, like, you go down the list of what uh, all the teams that sign these international players. And some teams only sign three, four, five guys. And then you see the Yankees or teams like the Cubs. And they've got, like, a list of two dozen guys. So you can, you can kind of see which teams are focusing on it more than others. I mean, honestly, it makes a lot of sense. One, the, the talent pool in, in the Caribbean and into, uh, like, Central America. Like, there's, there's just so much talent down there. These guys live and breathe baseball. And the fact that you can actually go and, and sign them at 16 years old and, and have them in your system from that young, that's a, that's so attractive as a, as an organization, because then, you know, you're, you're in control of the way that this guy's pitching from 16 years old. Like you are dictating how, not, not some random high school coach, not some random college coach, not some random summer league coach that you have to coordinate with and communicate. Like you're in now in control. Uh, you have the rights of that player, and you you can basically dictate how they are molded as a player. And I think that's super attractive as an organization. But you have to have the right scouts in place to to yeah. spot the those systems. kids at 16 years old. It's much right. harder to to spot a kid at 16 years old than it is at at 21. Uh, unless you're six three and throw 97 miles an hour. That's Sometimes pretty, it's obvious. A lot pretty, of times it's not obvious. Yeah, like that kid is uh, is identifiable from a distance for sure. So. Yeah, it's good and it's worked out. So I'm, I'm glad the Yankees were aggressive with this. And, you know, Brian Cashman, to me, just gets so much credit for, for these moves that, that won't go, you know, down in, uh, you know, in the next two to three years in the history of Brian Cashman moves because they'll be under the radar. But if these kids come out and they, and they start pitching well and they become, you know, big leaguers and they're contributing to this team in five, six years, like that's a huge deal. These under the radar moves like Adam Warren could turn into a number one starter. And, and that's crazy. The um, so quick recap of what the Yankees did for leading up to the deadline. We know they added Britain, Hap, Lance Lynn, and the three point seven five million in bonus pool money. They lost Dylan Tate, Josh Rogers, Cody Carroll, Brandon Jury, Billy McKinney, Adam Warren, Tyler Austin, and Luis Rojo. So they really added to their major league roster and to their prospect pool with only giving up guys that were expendable. They gave up some good players. Brendan Jury, I think, is going to be a good player. Uh, Cody Carroll is having a great season. He could turn into a bullpen arm. We like both like Billy McKinney, and Adam Warren is going to help the Mariners' bullpen. The Mariners had, had a, bull, a need in the bullpen, and they added a guy who's pitching very well this season. So you're helping a potential team you're going to face in the wild card game. So it's not like they just or, totally gave up nothing. Or... They know how he pitches when he leaves the Yankees in the middle of a season. It's and, sabotage. Yeah, sabotage. So, you know, when Adam Warren does come in, 
not so good. So I, I yeah, we've we've yet to see him uh, pitch well outside the New York Yankees. So this is this is a, a move that will be questioned. I think as the season goes on to see how Adam Warren does help the Mariners. But it's, it is interesting that they made a trade with the Mariners who are, are right in the mix of the playoffs. That, that to me was an interesting move because you don't see that very often. No, you, well, what you saw this trade deadline, which was a very busy trade deadline, is all the teams at the top, the Red Sox, Indians, Astros, Mariners, Athletics, and the Yankees were active and active acquiring players. And everyone else was like just people flooding out of their rosters because the the American League is so top heavy. So it is kind of interesting. It's it's weird to see two teams at the top swap. Yeah, and if you look at the guys that have been dealt, like you're not seeing uh, a lot of the guys that we have been identifying as some of the the top prospects. You're seeing a lot of the older guys that are in AAA and AA who are kind of blocked or are more organizational depth with like Tyler Austin and then grabbing um uh, you know, another first baseman that's a right-handed bat to, to kind of take his spot. Like it's almost like insert guy here, but you're, you're also getting that money in return too. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting how he did it. He definitely shuffled around players that were higher in Scranton that were lower on, that were really not prospects anymore. I think Rio was probably the, the one guy that you, you circle as the young guy with, with potential that is, I think he's 19 years old, uh, right-handed pitcher that has uh, potential as a prospect. So the Red Sox ended up adding Evaldi Kinsler and Steve Pierce back in June. They did not address what we thought was their biggest need is bullpen, but I guess Evaldi can help in both of those those areas. But now with Chris Sale on the disabled list, who who knows? So uh, it depends. Like I've read a couple of different opinions on what the Red Sox did. Some love it, what the Red Sox did, and others say that they did not really address their biggest need. Well, I mean... We all know we all know what I, how I feel about Nathan Avaldi. Like I think he's a quality starter at this point, especially in his career. I think he's a quality starter if he's healthy. Um, before he got hurt with the Yankees, he was he was getting much better. He was improving. He was be, he was a guy that was getting the we, we we would kill for a guy that would be pitching consistently into the sixth inning and, and throw a hundred pitches into the sixth inning. Like that was in the game. Like, we would we would kill for that right now. That would be exactly what this team needs, and that that's what we think we got with Jay Happ. Yeah, exactly. But I, I I think Evaldi is is a quality starter. That is going to keep you in the game. Um, you don't see too many blowups against him. You just don't. We saw one a couple, like a week or two ago, one of his last starts with Tampa Bay, but you, you just don't see it very often from him. He's a guy that gets a lot of ground balls, and he's a guy that's going to pitch into the fifth, sixth inning and keep you in the game. And so, yeah, I think it's an under-the-radar move. I think it was a quality move for for um, you know what they gave up and the fact that they don't have a lot of depth in their in their uh, their farm system. Like They were able to make some decent moves. So it, I was- it, it, it pissed me off that they got him, actually. I was really looking for. I, I am still looking forward to Saturday's matchup, potentially Evaldi against Hap. I really hope it happens because it's that's right there. This two two the two starting pitchers that each team traded for. Let's see what you got. And now if Hap can't go because of hand, foot, and mouth disease, which I have to imagine he caught from Syndergaard, right? Like who else I mean, was he going to catch it from? Because I'd never heard of that disease before. I mean, are we on the Oregon Trail? Are, are we getting like distemper? Uh, I mean, is that, I think my dog has a distemper shot. The uh, there's so many there's so many random diseases that nobody hears about and then all of a sudden we're hearing about hand mouth foot disease i didn't even know that was a thing it's called coxsackie disease it's it's crazy yeah so he must have gotten it from syndergaard but like um, if you're brian cashman you walk into the clubhouse with a blowtorch and just sterilize the place right (laughs) um except for sunny gray's locker (laughs) you leave sunny gray in the clubhouse while you're walking through it sterilizing it well, yeah, that's the thing. I don't know if you saw my tweet, but I, I put out there. I'm like, Jay Hap now at this point needs we need to see some veteran leadership, and he needs to rub <laughs> his hand, mouth, and feet all over Sonny's toothbrush, so that so that we can, uh, you know, take care of that problem, and he'll, he can go to the DL for a little a little bit of a, a stint, and then you know we don't have a problem with Sessa coming up. I thought we were being trolled when that when that news broke because. Um I forget who broke it on Twitter, but I was like, this has to be fake. There's no way that Jay Happ just went down with, with the Coxsackie disease. With the Coxsackie. He went down with the Coxsackie, this guy. Uh, you no, know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that two people... I've heard of it twice in the past week for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Besides playing the it's Oregon Trail be, in like seventh grade. on. on supposedly, a, he has a mild case of it. Syndergaard's was more serious. Syndergaard's been out for two weeks. Yeah, I mean, they got nothing to play for at this point, so they're going to keep him out probably, so... I don't even know. It's it's a it's a virus, so I guess it just attacks your immune system in the hand, mouth, and it's just so weird. It's so, just so. How do you contract that? I don't get it. It's children. It's, is it? Is it mm-hmm. a kids thing? It, well, it's much more prevalent in children, and I think you can catch it from children. Well, there you go. Stay away from your kids, people, if they have hand, mouth, and foot disease. 
Um, does Hap have? I don't even know if Hap has children. I have no idea. Uh, going to Boston four games. We already we already talked about that. It's the biggest series so far for the Yankees uh, of their season. Five and four against the Red Sox. They lost the one series they've played at Fenway Park. But really the difference in these two teams is if you look at since July 1st, since the Red Sox left Yankee Stadium when the Yankees took two out of three, Boston is 18 and five and the Yankees are 14 and 10. Yeah, it's a big problem. These are huge four games coming in. The Yankees got the way that they wanted their pitching rotation to set up. I mean, we talked about this after the break. Kind of seemed like they were setting up for this series at that point, and uh, you know they wanted to get their 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 big guys in there to pitch. CC Zabathia starting it off. Uh, you know we talked about that. He's, he's well, the huge, guy. but it's huge, huge break. Deal. They're facing Brian Johnson and not Chris Sale. It's a huge because break. if it's even though we love CC on the mound in a big game, if he's going up against Chris Sale, that's probably a loss for the Yankees because Chris Sale is that filthy. But Brian Johnson. All right, let's go, baby. CeCe against Brian Johnson. That's, that's a game one win, hopefully, for the Yankees. Oh, don't you better knock on some wood. Do something right now. But yeah, that's a, that's a, it's an attractive matchup for the Yankees. It's the guy you want, obviously, coming off of a, off of a loss. Um, and yeah, I'll take Brian Johnson all day long over Chris Sale. And confirmed, J-Hap has, one, has a son. Okay, well, hopefully his son doesn't have it because I think it's really bad for children. Anyway, Severino against Porcello, hopefully Hap against Evaldi, and then Tanaka versus Price on Sunday night. Um, I'm excited. Can't wait for this series. It's, if, they, if they split, are how, what is the reaction if they split? Because we're just back to exactly where we are today if they split. I mean, I still think they're in striking distance. It's not like I'm, I'm, I'm like crazy about this um, the lead that they have right now. I think that the, you know, the mean will come back towards, you know, these teams being pretty damn close at the end of the, at the end of the season. I just, I just, it just feels like it's going to happen that way. They're dealing with injuries. They're playing some tough teams. Like they're due for a streak. And I know we've been saying that and they've been out of their minds, but at some point we saw with the Indians, how they fell from grace after they had that long streak um, a couple of years ago. So this team is, is, is due. That's baseball, Susan. It's going to happen. And I expect the Yankees to go the opposite way when they get healthy, you get judged back. Uh, you know, the, the pitching sorts itself out. I, I just, it just feels like this is going to go down to that last series in Fenway, you know, whether they're tied or a game separating them, something like that. That's how I feel it's going to happen. So I don't think it's, it's like live or die that you come out with a sweep. Um, but obviously, well, a sweep is a, but a sweep is unrealistic. Or, or even like three we, to one, fine, three to one. Like that's only a game up. That that just gets you one game. No, so. but it's winning the series at Fenway Park, and I think that is um, it's bigger. Is, moment, for, is it's momentum bigger, anything at this point? Though well, I think it's bigger. It seems for, like it goes away the next day. So fast. I think it's bigger for momentum and a mental state than it is for the actual standings. Because if the Red Sox can get out of there with a split, that's status quo. They say we have ten games left against the Yankees. All we have to do is split those ten games, and we're probably going to win the division. Because they're not. We're going to just keep pounding on on the the Orioles and the Kansas City Royals and the Texas Rangers. And let's watch the Yankees try and chase us. They're not going to. If they're not going to beat us in these ten games, they're not going to catch us so the Yankees have to win the majority of these 10 games against the Red Sox it starts with three out of four this weekend yeah I, I just don't think as that much goes into um into the way that these guys think because even if they were to come out with a split like I don't think they're entering saying that yeah we just got to split with the Yankees and and we're good like we have them at an arm's distance if we split like that's that's almost like playing not to lose that's like being up by you know 21 points in the fourth quarter and just, you know, playing prevent defense. And then all of a sudden it's a tie game. Like it just, I, I don't know. I, I don't think these guys walk into any game in with that mentality. So that's why I don't think it's as much of a big deal in the sense that like if they get swept this weekend, that's a huge deal. Like that's significant in the standings, significant over to come. Like there's, they're in big trouble at that point. But if, if you walk out with a split, like, you know, it, you're, you're kind of prolonging the inevitable. It seems like. Absolutely, you split. If you split, because what are they right now? They are four and a half, four back, four back in the loss column. So if you if yeah. you sweep, you're tied in the loss column. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's a that's a big deal. But I'm saying that if they were to get swept, like devastation is is a sweep for the Red Sox. It's not. I just don't think the Red Sox are thinking split and and we're good. I think they want to come in. They're like, let's sweep them and bury them. That's what I think they're thinking. Yeah, I just think it's unrealistic for both sides to oh, totally to actually do that. I agree, but it does kind of line up. The Yankees. If this were, to, if there were to be a weekend for them to take advantage of of what this Red Sox team is throwing out, the fact that they're not going against um, Sale is big. The fact that they own Price and just, they are his daddy, uh, they they know that going in. He knows that going in. Like it's a that that to me, that's a mentality thing that can actually 
you know, significantly play into a game because we've seen it. And we know how weak they are from Vanderbilt. Sorry. (laughs) I think you can really cause the Red Sox, especially their fans. And I guess I'm talking more about fans, which I love to see them squirm. You're going to cause fans a little bit of panic if you take three out of four. And in in those three wins, you bash price again and then they have to deal with when is Chris Sale going to come back is his shoulder a serious issue I think this is going to cause some serious panic do you think that this is a preventative move by the Red Sox putting Sale on the disabled list because you know maybe there was a tiny bit of soreness but really it's just kind of wear and tear and they're just trying to save him for the end of the season and avoid that late season slump that he's you know he's prone to go through i'm well, wondering I think it's if preventative it. but at the same time i'm pretty surprised that they're they're putting him on the dl right before a yankees start but he's I already scheduled to pitch or he was scheduled to pitch on thursday i don't know it's just it just seems like a, it's very convenient i think it would be a no question go on the disabled list if the red sox were facing the um whatever detroit tigers this weekend but but the fact that they're facing the Yankees and they still place Sale on the disabled list, I'm sure Sale said, I can go, I can go. Right. Yeah, no, it's an interesting move with the timing of it, for sure. So so there is obviously something that they're concerned with, or not, or they're just playing the game and they're just like, you know what, a healthy Chris Sale down the stretch is a lot more important than one more start against the Yankees right now. Oh, Let's it, for get them ahead it of is. This. It is for them. Yeah, so so them, them getting ahead of it seems like a, a priority at that point. And I mean, his history absolutely dictates that he falls off towards the end of the year. There's no doubt about it. Like the yep. numbers are there. Yep. So, all right, that's going to do it for us and, next time. And, and Dombrowski does Dombrowski does not have have much ammunition. Sorry, I keep talking because more thoughts coming to my mind. But I can you know, leave. You can just do another half hour <laughs> on the podcast by yourself. I got to get to work. They're, uh, but their 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 farm system is so thin. Like you, they have to be more more conscious of of potential injuries. I feel like they do have to play it safe. So it's an interesting dynamic in how they're going to manage things. Yep. Big series. It's going to be exciting. We will talk to you guys Monday morning after that series. Hopefully the Yankees can take three out of four or sweep it, like we just said. Talk to you guys next. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.